What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Uh, today we welcome Eric Marshall to the pulpit. Eric grew up here at Grace and has helped lead the young adult group for the last few years. I'm grateful to him for his courage in stepping up to the pulpit. Not everyone feels comfortable doing that, so I appreciate his willingness. I know he's going to do a great job today. Uh, you may be wondering why we have someone who is not the pastor preaching, and I just want to remind folks that perhaps the single most effective way to grow spiritually is to study the scriptures, to wrestle with the meaning of the Bible. Eric, in preparing this message, has done that. This process contributes to his growth, and that's what we want for our people in this church. If you think you might like to deliver a sermon, come and talk with me. Eric and I have met a couple of times to discuss this sermon and the ideas behind it. And I think that is invaluable for both of us. Now we're going to hear the scriptures from 2 Corinthians. Uh, Stephanie is going to read for us. This is from the Apostle Paul, who is talking about the temporary nature of our flesh, but the enduring nature of our spirit. We, as people, may be easily broken, but God is at work even then. Let's hear our scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, and 16 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. All right, thank you, Stephanie, and I uh, invite you to welcome with your applause Eric Marshall to the pulpit. I'd like to preface this morning's message by saying that what you're about to hear is a culmination of my experiences here at Grace over the past five years, from retreats, mission work, small group discussions, among other experiences. I have crossed paths with many of you in this time and none of this would have been possible without the words of encouragement and insights both you and our pastors over the years have shared. Even though my time as an active Christian began you know, relatively within this time frame, my testimony really begins three decades ago. I would like to take a step back this morning and take a closer look at what it means to be wounded. Many of us, myself included, have preconceived notions about what it means in the context of our human condition and what it encompasses. We typically see ourselves in a static reference frame, feeling like no one understands our condition but us. And these conditions, more often than not, are thought of as physical. In our family and communal units, there can be discussions about our circumstances. 
but in many instances, that does not bring us full circle. Today's message is all about coming full circle with our wounds and vulnerability, understanding that our place in this world as imperfect humans, seeing that, understanding that, our, you know, and then seeing that we do not need to go it alone and that history is on our side. The second scripture reading from this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, who is called twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we all start from the outside looking in and it is your grace that transforms us through our relationship with you and with those we cross paths. Help us to be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ, and allow us to bear witness to your hands at work in us so that we are led to bear witness to the transformation of the world. In your name we pray, amen. For me, the story of my woundedness begins with my own physical scars. I was born without a complete digestive system, which will almost certainly have a lifelong impact. If it were not for the gifted hands of some very dedicated medical teams, there's almost a certain chance I would not be standing before you here today. Between over a dozen surgeries, the right assessments, knowledge, and relationships had to come together. My parents explained to me as I grew up that there was sometimes a day-to-day -day hope without any certain outcome that got them to the next day. It was simply hope with only a select few factors that could be controlled. But I thought that was where the substance of my story ended. Go, live life, wrestle through the trials and tribulations of life. I am blessed to have grown up in this community and have the privileges and opportunities that come with an upper middle class upbringing less than a half hour from one of the largest cities in the world. I figured that I had all that I needed and that there were vast safety nets that would surely protect me. But sometimes the understanding of our woundedness or scars comes front and center when we least expect it. In February 2020, a small group uh, on race convened here at Grace that I figured, sure, given the current climate today, having a more in-depth understanding of race relations in America is really important as we try to move forward together as a society. I learned that caution needs to be taken when using history and norms as a precedent and that stereotyping of the other comes in so many forms. However, as the weeks progressed, a broad range of items came into discussion from many facets of all participants' lives, not just the physical and aesthetic implications. And without direct provocation, the social, emotional, and relational concerns and struggles came to the forefront amongst the group. I would say that our physical identities never left us, but it's clear that digging one level deeper hit a nerve for me. 
Race is primarily a human construct meant to categorize us based on our aesthetic features. We are further divided among socioeconomic and health factors to name a few. But when we focus on us as individuals, we begin to realize that there is more in common between us than may be apparent at first. Intersectionality, a term used to describe how our social identities overlap, came to the forefront of our discussions. It quickly became clear that our wounds cross traditional human boundaries and that our social emotional scars run deeper, go unnoticed, and have a prevailing impact on our lives here on Earth. For me, it was a preconceived notions based on physical appearance and perceived physical limitations that led to fear in social settings, isolation, and to an extent, shame. It was only through my experiences in Christian community that there was an avenue to process, an op process these thoughts and opportunities presented themselves to go right to the core. In a relational setting, there's little we can do to intervene or even help others, especially when it comes to these deeper scars. It's difficult to know how to respond or even what to say when an individual alone is going through a situation. The simple act of affirming and standing in solidarity is a way to not minimize or solve one's burdens, but to know that they are not being carried alone, that someone else hears. Henry Nowen, a priest and prominent spiritual writer, articulates it so well in his book, Wounded Healer, by describing Christian compassion as avoiding the distance of pity on someone and yet the closeness that is required of sympathy. In this grand scheme, there's only so much we can control, but that response can fundamentally change not only how one feels, but allow space for God to be present in our lives. Our simple presence and non-judgmental listening goes a long way to, in holding that space open while also starting the sometimes grueling process of affirming our identities. In today's last scripture reading from John, Jesus identifies himself through his wounds. He does not hesitate to show his wounds despite being subjected to the most humiliating sequence of events. As Thomas was skeptical that Jesus was who he claimed to be, Jesus was patient yet steadfast in using his physical condition to identify himself. However, Jesus does not use his scars to, to define himself. Instead, he ultimately uses his wounded state as a means for transformation. Though wounded, he never transmitted his wounds to his followers or even the world. And he moved beyond the physical and tangible nature of his condition. The good news is that we have hope based on history and that Jesus demonstrated that his physical scars were not the final word. Furthermore, the final verse of the scripture addresses our perceived need for certainty and confirmation. The verse, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have come to believe, can be perceived as a call to humanity to accept that there may be times when empirical evidence and certainty may not be immediately realized. We may need to see beyond our present literal conditions and realize that the full embodiment of what is to come will take time. This begins to describe the process of faith. Our lived experiences and testimonies begin building a fabric of evidence that God, through Jesus, wants to have an individual relationship with, with us, changing hearts, perceived identities, and realizing that things may be closer than they appear. He uses the people that we cross paths with every day to reveal new perspectives. And all too often, it is the connection to others through our wounds that God reveals his intentions for us. The primary scripture reading this morning comes from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, 
really summarizes how we need to view God in our wounded or traumatized state. In the trenches, we are afflicted, persecuted, and often perplexed. Woundedness can be far-reaching and is not just limited to physical affliction. Paul's time in prison exemplifies how persecution frequently leads to isolation and a deep internalization of our wounded state. We humans all too often internalize our physical and emotional state in our own world and do not see the broader framework that is at work. However, in the second part of the scripture, the analogy of clay jars literally provides a grounding and context for how we should view and understand our conditions. But first, a disclaimer, I want to give credit here where credit is due, as the following interpretations are based partially on a collective discussion that the young adults had last spring on this very passage. We wrestled with scripture from different, slightly different perspectives in hopes of coming away with a more enduring understanding of its meaning and application. Clay jars are probably the last container in which we would want to put our most valuable possessions. They are fragile, of a single color, and are subject to inconsistencies. There are many ways clay can be used to symbolize us as children of God. Aside from alluding to our fragility, clay as a material is of the earth, just as we are born of the earth. Furthermore, clay as a molded material can represent us as being molded, which symbolizes all of us as being uniquely crafted individuals with our own combination of interests, gifts, as well as wounds. However, contradictions begin to emerge if we look at clay in its physical and functional forms. Clay, once baked and kiln-dried, cannot be transformed. It's static. That does not align with the reality that our lives are so incredibly dynamic in so many ways. So can this be the extent to description of clay jars that Paul describes? Digging deeper, it becomes clear that his intent in describing us as clay jars may have more to do with our relation to God. Our value is not our mortal flesh on the outside, but the knowledge that there is a God that does not take us at face value. Every one of us is unique in the eyes of God. None of us should be thought of as superior to one another, except when it comes to how we are ordinary and yet treasures of God. We have the knowledge of God and good news as a guide, that we are saved by faith alone, that his grace is working around us and through us, even when we do not realize it, and that we are more than mere mortals. When we look at Paul, the pain, suffering, and wounded state that he went through, we may be led to believe that is endurance that counts. We may ask ourselves, how long can we hold on? Our woundedness so often leads to anxiety and in many cases fear, whether it be a perceived weakness, a fear of judgment, a fear of not being treated as equal human, or fear of the future. It is just natural human intuition to compare yourself to others and to unconsciously put up defenses in response to our traumatic experiences. Well, these defenses not only prevent us from seeing how we relate to each other, but often lead us to not fully understanding our wounds down to the core. This perpetual cycle pulls us away from seeing our place and our neighbor's place in God's kingdom. So how do we gain clarity and break down the differences and defenses and ultimately move forward? Well, let's start by leveling the playing field. How do, you, how do we level the playing field, you may ask? It comes down to accepting that transparency and vulnerability needs to play a significant role in your walk with Christ as well as in your human relationships. It is only after we have fully identified and internalized our wounds through self-examination that we can be in a position to see ourselves in others. When we begin to be, put it all on the table 
and reframe our stories without any filters, we can finally be the clay jars that Paul describes. We are all more common than we think. We realize that we're all temporary, but nonetheless have a tremendous responsibility and duty to serve in his image and likeness every day. C.S. Lewis is probably best known as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia series. His life vocation, studying, teaching, and tutoring English literature at Oxford and Cambridge Universities in England. In his road he, to becoming a Christian was not a direct path by any means. Growing up in what would have been considered a Christian household at that time in history, he went through a 20-year period where he did not consider himself to be a Christian. The events of his childhood and young adulthood pulled him away. The death of his mother in 1908 and later being physically wounded himself in the trenches of World War I, along with the loss of friends and colleagues in that time, left a mark on him. He began questioning the nature of God, and if there was a God, why did the broken world right in front of his eyes exist? It was a very unstable time in Western history, spanning two world wars, immense demographic changes, and as well as economic and social hardships. However, having the institutional and communal support that came with his academic career, he had the freedom and open space to deeply explore these questions. He had an enduring and yet skeptical faith that propelled him throughout his career. This led to countless books being published under his name, as well as contributions in both the fields of literature and religion. But there are an underlying set of factors here that I think we can all take away from his life story and career. As I mentioned, there was the communal support that was available to him during his years and his openness to asking difficult questions. He took the time to observe the world around him and let the decades of his own life experiences form his work. And then there was the underlying faith that there was something more. However, if it were not for the traumatic experiences of his childhood and early life, I think it's reasonable to ask, would we have the perspectives, creativity, and ideas from C.S. Lewis that we have to share today? It almost seems that coming to terms with our traumatic experiences is a prerequisite to not only living out our vocations, but also building a life of faith. Our woundedness literally shapes who we become, but it does not stop there. In the middle of World War II, Europe and the world needed context, healing, and a connection with God must have felt so distant. The British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, reached out to C.S. Lewis, and over the course of years, he utilized his life experiences up to that time to speak out in a bunch of radio broadcasts to the public. They're each about 15 minutes long and were presented in multiple series covering a range of topics, including various ideas about God, faith, morality, and Christianity. In doing this, he provided a level of comfort and a familiar voice to a traumatized world. He knew that it, it was his responsibility to speak out and to share what he came to learn about the nature of God and how we as individuals and us as a society of humans relate to God. As we wrap up here, it's a journey, starting with accepting our woundedness, taking the time to be observant about our own lives, our relationships, and our world, providing the space and time for God to work and reveal himself to us, having enduring faith that there is something more, and ultimately responding to the circumstances at hand with a sense of responsibility and accountability. I want to leave you here with two thoughts and corresponding questions to reflect on this week.
Jesus' life, death, and resurrection remains the ultimate symbol of what it means to be wounded. How does this change your understanding of the traumatic and wounding experiences of your own life? And secondly, with so much focus on getting to the next day and getting to the next place, we sometimes do not have the opportunity to fully internalize our wounds down to the core. How are your identity, relationships, and motivations shaped by your wounds? Your answers may surprise you. And remember, your wounds do not define who you are in the eyes of God, but they are a fundamental part of who you choose, and yes, it is a choice to be in his kingdom. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.